If everybody would bow. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you very much for this beautiful day that you have given us. And we just pray for everybody that's on the prayer list, Lord, that you watch over them and guide them in each and every one of their needs, Lord. And we just pray that you fill this place with the Holy Spirit, Father. And just be with Chris as he gives the message today, Lord. And we just pray that he clears himself out of the way and just allows you to speak through him, Lord. And we just ask all these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Great job. Good morning, everybody. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I think most everybody here knows me or at least recognizes me. For those that don't, my name is Chris Desort, and I've been going to Thousand Hills for approximately six years. I love, yeah, that's great. I love this church, and I love the spirit of this church, and I love the people of this church. It's just an awesome place to be, and I'm just so thankful for it. You guys know that I'm not a preacher. I've never had any desire to preach. Um, the main thing is, is just standing up here in front of you guys like right now. It just petrifies me. So <laughs> hang with me. Hang, David, did you bring the smell and salts? He, was supposed, he told me he'd bring the smell and salts, so I'm, I'm counting on him. Um, this morning, I'd like to visit with you guys about the grace of God. But first, what is grace? And there's lots of different ways to define grace. But to me, uh, grace is best defined by its unmerited favor. That's favor that you and I had nothing to do with. He just freely gives it to us. So this morning, to illustrate what an important role grace has played in my life, I'd just like to share some of my testimony with you this morning. I was born 10 miles east of here in Moreland. I was a kid that was kind of quiet, timid. I hated school. I didn't really have any sense of self-confidence and my or self-worth. I just wasn't good at school. So it just kind of fell into that. But I did have two brothers at home, Pat and Mike. I was the oldest. My brother Pat was one year younger than me. Mike was three years younger than me. My dad was a VOAG instructor, first in Selma, Oklahoma, until that school got too small and they had to shut it down. And then he went to Fort Supply and was the ag instructor there. When he decided to get out of teaching, we moved back to Moreland, and he went to work for A&R Pipeline Company. My mom was an RN there at Moreland, where I was born and then later on here at the Woodward Hospitals. My brothers and I spent our youth doing chores on the family farm. We were active in FFA, and we always had a lot of stock show activities going on, and we per participated in livestock judging contests. Oh. My parents, they raised us in church. We went to the Catholic Church in Moreland, and my brothers and I were altar boys there, and um, we were in church every Sunday. We, uh, 
we, you know, we were, did the first confession, commun first communion and confirmation. We did all that stuff. But even after all those years in, in, in going to church, I couldn't say that I had any sort of personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My mom would be the first uh, to have that experience. As I told you earlier, my mom was an RN. And when she got out of nursing school, she served a residency at St. Anthony's in Oklahoma City. And one day, her and a, a co-worker were changing bandaging on an invalid patient. And in the process of turning that patient, they had an accident. Long story short, my mom broke her back that day. She lived, you know, they had, did a couple surgeries on mom, but were really never able to do her a whole lot of good. So she had a lot of back pain for the rest of her life. My mom and dad's marriage, like most marriages, had its ups and downs. My dad had a quick temper and was really stubborn. And my mom was quiet and hated conflict. So there was a period in her life where, you know, she was miserable with the chronic back pain. Their marriage wasn't going good. And she was miserable and she didn't know if she wanted to go on. One night she went into the bathroom with no intention of coming back out. She told me she sat in there crying with a razor blade in her hand. And she, hit, she did cry out. She cried out, God, if you're real, I need to know it now. And the Spirit of God showed up. He loved on her, ministered to her. And when she came out of that bathroom, she was a new creation in Christ. Now, Mom would tell me this story probably about a month after it happened. And I was, of course, so happy that she hadn't hurt herself. But I didn't really understand the relationship with Christ's part. Anyway, for the next several months, my mom witnessed us boys all the time. And through her words and her actions, we could see that this relationship with Jesus must be real because she was a different person. Um, she had a group of friends and that were likewise at that time, strong Christians. If there was anything going on in northwest Oklahoma, revivals or speakers, special speakers passing through the country, you know, whether it's prayer meetings or Bible studies, those, they were active all the time. They had a, an insatiable thirst to find out everything they could about our Lord. And they loved being in the fellowship of uh, other believers. Can't see. No light. Now she was always trying to get us boys to go with her to some of these events. So one day she came home and she said, Chris, there's an evangelist from Russia that's coming through and he's going to be in Weatherford. I really want to go, and I need somebody to ride with me. Would you go? And I said, you know, I didn't really want to go, but she'd been after me for a long time, and I finally relented and said, okay, I'll go. Well, we get up there, and they're having this revival in a convention center. There's probably 300 or so people there and a real good crowd, and um, just kind of hanging around watching people, which is kind of what I like to do. 
And finally the service started, and they started with the praise music. And the praise music was different than the way we sang at church. You know, we just sang out of a hymn knowing it was pretty cut and dried. That praise and worship was way more like our praise and worship, which is outstanding. And it kind of gets you in the flow and the mood of the spirit. And it was really good. There were people raising their hands in praise and... Uh, you know, you see, even see people weeping that you could just tell they were really in worship. And it was a new experience for me. Then the evangelist gets up and he starts to preach. And he preaches a way that I've never heard the word preach before. He was preaching with power and authority and passion. And it was like I could feel the spirit of God in that place. Now, towards the end of the service, he starts to give the altar call. And although I'd been moved by God's word and felt his spirit, I still felt very hesitant to go forward. I was afraid of what it might mean. Was I never going to go be a party with my friends? Was I never going to be able to chase girls? I didn't know. On the other hand... I knew I needed a Savior. You see, His Spirit was convicting me. He knew I was a sinner, and He knew I was unworthy. But He loved me, and He was calling me. I was going back and forth in my mind. Do I go, or do I sit here? Part of me wanted to go. Part of me was scared to death. And I just remember I was just feeling like my body temperature was getting way high, and I just felt, I get, it must be in the Spirit of God on me that was just convicting me to go. Because I don't remember walking down that aisle, <clears throat> but I did. <laughs> I ended up down there in front of that evangelist, and me, along with several other people, gave their life to Christ that night, and we recited the, the sinner's prayer. It was the most amazing experience of my life. I remember after it was over, and my mom was down there congratulating me on the, the decision that I'd made. And I was just weeping, you know. It was crazy. I, I felt like, how could God love somebody like me? You know, I'm just, I, I was just amazed. It was an incredible experience. John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And that was my experience. Now, I wish I could stand here before you and tell you that that life-changing experience was so awesome and that my journey after that was all smooth. But my journey was anything but smooth. I continued to struggle with the same old sins. I would spend Sundays in church and do good for a couple days, and then I'd slide right back into my same old patterns. I would eventually spiral down and I got into harder drugs, LSD, angel dust, psychedelic mushrooms, and others. And I do want to pause here for a minute because I don't want this to sound glory, like I'm trying to glorify the drug culture in any way. It's not. It's, it's bad news. It was the most horrific some of the most horrific times in my life. 
There were times when I was on a bad trip that I would beg God to not let me become caught in that mental state. Because when you're on a bad trip, your mind is just tormented and you're, you can't move your body and your mind's just going. And it's kind of like you can see yourself looking down on yourself and you're going, oh my gosh, am I ever going to come out of this? Because it happens to people where they don't come out of that. And they're, you know, most common now with all the psychiatric wards being shut down, they're out on the streets. They can't hold down a job, can't do anything. It's a t horrific place to be. But back to my story. I was a mess. <clears throat> and I, I began to wonder if my salvation experience was even real. But I knew it was. Because I could remember my salvation experience like it happened just yesterday. And I'm 61 now. My salvation experience was probably 40 years ago. And I can still picture in my mind the, the feeling that I had. So I knew it was real. I belong to God. So I relied on His Word. He says in Ephesians 1-6, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us. He belonged to His dear Son. And I did belong to His dear Son. But I was like Paul. The same Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says in Romans 7-15, I don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And that was me. I was like a, a gene bug out on the porch on a summer night with that light up there. I was just banging my head into the same old things over and over and over. And it's like, what's wrong with me? It's a miserable place to be. And I felt like, felt like such a failure. I was a failure. I needed grace, but I didn't feel like I deserved grace anymore. I'd asked for grace over and over and over. And that brings me to another point. Why is it so hard for us to accept God's grace? I think it's because it's so foreign to our human relationships where everything relies on earning something. We have to earn everything. Whether it's an employee-employer relationship or student-teacher relationship, most often it's even in our marriage relationships where there's conditions and expectations and if those conditions and expectations aren't met, there's probably going to be difficulties in that relationship. And that's our reality. But God, through His Word, teaches us of an eternal reality that is far more important than any human relationship we might have. It is the reality of God's grace towards us. And when we begin to understand His grace for us, we begin to change from the inside out. 
You see, God's kindness to you is completely undeserved. And when God gave us His grace, we were and are completely unworthy. Romans 2-4 Don't despise the riches or abundance of God's grace. For God's grace leads us to repentance. It's His grace that leads us to repentance. And it does. Over time, His grace caused me to change. And if you're in the midst of sin, no matter what the sin, keep accepting God's grace. He's not giving up on you. If you belong to Him, He's not giving up on you. And you need to be in church. Church was my lifeline when I was going through that. I mean, I didn't do a whole lot right, but I did have enough sense to get my tail to church. He tries to tell us when we're going through this that we're unworthy. We're not worthy to go to church. That if we go, we'll just be a hypocrite. Well, guess what? The church is full of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. We're all sinners. If we were perfect, what need would we have to be in church? Get in the Word. Accept His love. And you will change. Now, the last few minutes we've been talking about accepting grace. How do we accept grace and make and uh, and love him and just stay stay the stay the course. But now the same grace <clears throat> that he gives to us and extends to us, he now calls on us to extend to others. But until we are truly captivated by the way He pours out His grace on us, we will never be able to convey His grace to others. Now, giving grace to others is difficult. It's just not our nature. In our world where things are ruled by merit and performance, grace seems hard to come by. Grace to others sounds like a great idea on Sunday here in church, but when Monday rolls around, and we feel slighted by somebody or wronged by somebody, say our spouse or a co-worker or some nut that just cut us off in traffic, giving them grace is far from our first impulse. It's our nature to take offense. I get it. I'm the same way. To be a person of grace is difficult. We can't just show up to church once a week and expect to change. And I'm just preaching to myself here more than anybody. <clears throat> We've got to have a, a relationship with Christ where we talk to Him all the time. He doesn't want to just be a once a week God to us. He wants to be with us daily and help us through life. But it requires a little work on our part. Again, I'm talking to myself. We have to begin our day in prayer. And we've got to talk to the Lord all day long. He's our only hope. 
We can't do this on our own. I know I sure couldn't. We have to keep in mind how much grace Christ is constantly showing us. And if we're not mentally and spiritually prepared for what awaits us when we walk out our front door in the morning, our chances of being able to respond Christ-like are not good. God loves us, doesn't want us to walk around with bitterness, resentment, and hate towards others. It's not healthy for our spirits, our minds, or our bodies. He didn't make us like that. So, Sheila, if you would please bring up Matthew 5, 46 and 47. We all know people that are different than us. They look different. They think different. They have different passions. But we need to know and show grace and favor to all, not just those that are like us. In this scripture, well, if we don't have it, that's all right. Okay. In that scripture, there's tax, pay, tax gatherers there. And when we see the biblical explanation of a taxpayer is somebody that's lost or without God. So I'm gonna, when I read this scripture, I'm going to change it to the meaning. If you love those only who love you, what reward is there in that? Even those without God do that much. And then 47. And if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even those without God do that. You see, God calls us to be different and to operate on a different level than those that are without God. So when Jesus was teaching us how to pray to Him in the Our Father, if you would, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, He told us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom soon come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Okay, there's where I want to go here in a minute. If you would just leave that up there. I'd like to go back. You don't have to put this back up, Sheila, but it talks about verse 12. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. That's important to him. And in 14, he says it again. It tells us the importance of showing mercy towards others. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. In 15, but if you refuse to give others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. I don't, I don't know what to add to that. That's pretty black and white. If we want mercy, we've got to be able to show 
mercy and grace. We've got to be able to show that to others as well as to receive it. Then he goes on to Luke 6, 27 and 29. And he doubles down. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone that asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. <laughs> that's, that's crazy stuff. I mean, that's just not the way we do things. We're not the way we think. And it is radical. I sat there looking at this scripture, wondering how in the heck are we ever supposed to be able to respond like that to somebody that's mistreating us? And God brought to my remembrance Ephesians 6:12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So maybe that's how when, you know, this scripture we were at before when we were talking about having to turn the cheek if somebody slaps you, we're not, that person that's in front of us is not the cause. I mean, it may look like he's the cause, but it's not flesh and blood that we battle. It's principalities. So we wrestle not against Billy Bob, who has just a jerk to us. Or Betty Sue that's been spreading untrue rumors about us. God calls on us to extend unmerited favor, favor they don't deserve. He calls on us to give them that grace because we're to, we're to love the unlovable. You see, we do serve a radical God. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he ushered in a new way where we no longer live under the law, but we live under his grace. And for that, the religious leaders of the day crucified him. But he rose from the dead, and now he lives in us. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we just love you, Lord. I just, we, I just can't wrap my head around how good you are. The way you love me when I don't deserve love. And I just pray, Father, that you've, this, your word has spoke to everybody in here today, Father. We've got to remember that we're not all that. And we need you. We need you. And Father, if there's anybody in here today that has not known you or doesn't understand that 
that kind of grace is available to us when we become your son or daughter. I just pray, Father, you'll move on their heart like you moved on mine 40-some years ago. Father, we just, once again, we love you. And I just thank you for all you do for me and for us as a family. We just give you praise and thanks for everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.